The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Way, and um, we thought we'd start with a little check-in on how um, the homework suggestion went uh, over the last couple of days. If anyone had a chance to practice with the Brahma Viharas in their daily life, noticing when those qualities are present in the mind or in general inclining the mind toward uh, emphasizing whatever is wholesome and present in the mind. Um, and then uh, what we say, notice what's wholesome and go with that. Something like. I'm curious if anyone has any comments on that or any questions about our our practice so far. And you can just unmute yourself if you'd like to go ahead. Yeah, Randy, you have your hand up. Hi. Yeah, I can hear you. I have, I first of all wanted to that I am so grateful for your. Okay, just so you know, you're fading in and out a little bit as if you're not quite um, connected to the microphone. Okay. That's probably better. That is better, yeah. Okay. I first wanted to say I'm so grateful for your um, tangent yesterday on the. Um, issue of criticism that was I thought that was very helpful as other people mentioned so I have I have a question which you may want to address or I'm happy to take it offline somewhere else but my question relates to the Kalama Sutta in general as opposed to the Brahma Viharas which were great um, exposition also so the question is that at, in the Buddha's time, it seemed like um, there were some uh, unwholesome practices that were recommended uh, to people, and that had, uh, that had the citizens uh, perplexed. And the Buddha gave a talk in the sutta, which seems to me to be skillful means. And at that time, but um, in his omnis, I assume that he was addressing future times as well. So in our own times, it seems like most religious and spiritual practices are quite wholesome, advocating the practice of the Brahma Viharas, and if not in great depth, at least in principle, and love and compassion. And so uh, the only thing, the only practice, spiritual practice that I could come up with that is offered to us that may not be so wholesome is the practice of um, positive thinking and the secret, uh, which is based a lot on greed and getting what we want. So um, it has left me with the um, assumption and conclusion that the acceptance of the view after pondering it is actually the most useful to me 
in meditation in order to determine what is useful in my practice based on meditation and experience. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think of that, especially since um, Gil has kind of exhorted people in public not to pursue other, other religious paths at the same time as their commitment to Buddhism. So I'm wondering what you think of those issues. Well, there's a lot in what you said, first of all. Um, I think I would highlight what you said yourself, is that the pondering of whether things seem valuable for you has been something that's been effective in your practice. And you remember from the first class that... Um, chart of you know all the different ways that we know things it's true that you know re reflection and then acceptance after pondering was put in the category of a cognitive way of knowing um, and therefore slightly unreliable but one thing i didn't say about that is that in that second sutta that was referenced in the right column mn 95 the chonky sutta um, that particular method of reflecting and then deciding for yourself is actually mentioned later in that sutta as part of the path. So even though the Buddha names these things, quote unquote, somewhat unreliable, they can go either way, ways of knowing, and later in that text gives an exposition of how to come to awakening. And it includes several of the methods that he said earlier were somewhat unreliable. So it's clear from that sutta that He's not saying we should never use these ways, but only that we should use them skillfully. And in fact, reflectance on the teachings is vital. It's something very important that we should really think about, actually, what we're hearing. And that includes what we've talked about in this class up to now. Um, and nothing that we've said needs to be accepted or swallowed whole. And if you reflect on it and it makes sense and you try it in your practice and it works, that's actually part of the path, and it will lead you eventually to this kind of direct knowing that the Buddha was pointing toward. So what I hear and what you're saying is that you're, you're using a skillful means that's working for you. Thank you. That's and I, I guess I would add a couple things again, Randy, kind of coming back out to this yeah, bigger, you know, this bigger perspective that you bring us back to, which is... Um, the, the holding of views is, is inevitable. It's how we hold them where we either can incline toward some freedom or some, some stress and suffering. So views aren't in themselves um, something that we either can avoid or should avoid or, or, or judge, judge about. It's, it's what we pay attention to in the practice is how we hold them. So this is really important. You ponder a view makes sense. Maybe it's a reflection on your direct experience in meditation, say. That seems to be where the Kalama Sutta points. And, and then you hold that lightly to be reconsidered upon, you know, the next moment's experience, right? And all that's come before that. So it's actually a complex thing. We never, in, if in this practice, come to one fixed view. And that's really important. Therein lies some of, some of the freedom that's available in it. So I'd say that. 
at the very end, you mentioned that Gill exhorts people to not follow other. I, I would say my reading of Gill, um, I, I love the way Gill sometimes responds to questions about other practices. What he usually sort of says is, I don't know very much about those practices. Or sometimes he says, I don't know anything about that. And that could be Tibetan practice or it could be you know, medieval Christian practice about which he actually knows quite a bit. But he, he says, I, that I can't really, you know, that's not my sphere of, of, uh, of teaching. And I think that's a very respectful way to hold other wisdom traditions is to just say, this is what I do. Gil is also expert at just bringing people back to their experience of what's going on. And um, so I would just say that I, I think uh, that Gil actually is stealing a leaf or a page from the Buddha's book, even here in the Kalama Sutta, and how he, um, you know, how he how he teaches the Dhamma. So, just a couple comments. I don't know if Ying has anything she wants to add. I did text Diana just to uh, remind her, but uh, I, I know she's got a lot of stuff going on. Ying, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you both, and thank you, Randy. Good question, Randy. Thank you. For your response, is very helpful. Uh, we could take uh, one more if there's if there is one. Okay, Jerry, I see your hand up. Feel free to unmute. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna sidestep the Brahma Bahara issue uh, partially because I'm exploding with an opening of a heart once again from this morning's presentation. Uh, uh, and just a general question. Uh, uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, they had an issue and, and uh, I was not very good at that actually, but I, uh, my ultimate goal uh, was uh, and would be if I went back to teaching is following the, the Teacher that we're studying, and when I go to some retreats, I don't find the teachers follow it. Isn't the goal in this tradition then the teacher is to help the the person find the teacher within? It's isn't uh, in other words. Point of view. I don't know how often teachers do that. Uh, I, I, some teachers maybe do that. But, so that was just a general question of, uh, is the sutta about how to teach? It's an interesting question. Um, I think you've, uh, I think it's both. I think it is something about how to practice and something about how to teach. Um, it's certainly true that the, aim, the sort of initial aim of Buddhist practice is to become what's called independent in the Dharma, which means that a person does have an, some kind of an internal compass. That's actually a particular um, point that's kind of referred to in the, in the text. Um, uh, and at the same time, it's noted that until a person gets to that point, they don't have quite enough wisdom and might need some kind of guidance. And that's, I think, alluded to in this list of um, how the Buddha says to, to know in the Kalama Sutta, how to know um, whether to follow certain practices. And it says, you know, 
if you know for yourself that they'll be good and if they are praised by the wise, for example. So there's a little external check put in there. And so I think there's a, a balance for a teacher to try to try to kind of convey both of those. And sometimes, you know, you may hear that they're not conveying one or the other side of that. But there is there are those two components as we move toward this independence in the Dharma. Does that make sense? Um, it does. Two things. One is if you remember, and if it's not a burden, if you could send me that uh, that sutra reference. Would... Oh, that's from the Kalama Sutta. That's um... there was another one about the Dharma, uh, finding the Dharma within, or something. Didn't you? Um, oh well, the the I'm not sure which one. And I also want to invite. Becoming independent in the Dharma, that idea appears over and over again. Oh, okay. That, I think that, Kim? Yeah. I, okay, I, now I hear and that that's what you were asking. Yeah. And I, also, there is something in the setup of questions and answers that makes the teacher the expert, which I'm not saying that they're not, but the expert is there to make us the expert. So that ego and narcissism gets in the way. That's what got in my way of doing it very effectively. Actually. So, and I'm done for now. Thank you very much. And thank you for the class because at 9.30 I'm making a fast exit <laughs> back to the retreat. So thank you. Nice. Okay. So, so um, David. Yeah, Diana has joined us. And Diana, I think you're uh, listening. I'm going to stop recording.